Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. Today, Shayahu Perek Chafdalad, Chapter 24 of Isaiah. With Chapter 24, we begin a new section, Chapter 24 to 27 form their own segment and what we really have here is some sort of prophecy concerning the end of days. This describes a situation as we will see very soon of apocalypse, terrible devastating destruction and will be followed by redemption and sort of knowledge of God. This is a deeply cathartic situation whereby um, society will be purged and purified from all its impurities and um, will end up in Sion with some sort of uh, um, with some sort of redemptive situation and we, we really don't know any specific historical situation with which this could correspond um, and therefore we, we I think we would probably attribute it I, I've heard people trying to put it in the time of Chizkiyahu, but to me that just doesn't work and therefore this seems to go with the end of days. I'll, I'll say even more than that. You know, when you go through the whole Torah, there are of course situations, and we'll talk about them very soon, in which there are moments of destruction. Examples would be the, the flood, or the example would be Sodom and Amorah, and sometimes the, the Tochacha, where we are promised that we will suffer rack and ruin if we if we sin but this these chapters and and those are a structure of reward and punishment and cleansing but these these chapters go even even more than that because after the destruction comes sort of a a sense of a song um the supremacy of am israel then some sort of universal recognition of god We'll even see the the notion of the resurrection of the dead and the revelation of God on on Haritzion. And I have to say that, you know, when as you go as you go through the Torah and then you go through Navim Rashonim, you never have a sense of a sort of a messianic architecture, a sense of a time of universal recognition of God, a time of resurrection of the dead, um, God being crowned as the supreme king in Jerusalem. It just doesn't seem to really, really exist, um, not in the Torah and not in Nevi'im Rishonim. And therefore, since Yishayahu is the first, in certain senses, of the Nevi'im Achronim, we would almost have to say that Yishayahu is the one who, who instigates, who initiates this entire construction of what we frequently associate with uh, the messianic age and this is this is quite something quite something to witness here um in this chapter um and the coming and the upcoming chapters another thing that i really would like to point out in this in this chapter is the phenomenal poetry the alliteration the the chapter begins with talking about a sort of um a sort of uh, earthquake that god is going to split open the earth um, and even the opening phrases, uh, he is going to split the earth and, and, and divide it. And 
Haaretz, Vahaboz Tivoz, all of this language we'll see later on, a beautiful language, for example, Avla Navla Haaretz, Umlala Navla Tivel, or later on, Bogdim Bagdu, or Veged Bogdim Bagadu, Pachad Vafachat Vafachalecha Yosheva Haaretz, Vaya Hanas Mikol Hapachad, Yipolela Pachat, Vaolemitoha Pachat, Yilachid Bapach. This sort of amazing alliteration when they want to talk about the the earth sort of becoming unstable the land has shaken it has uh, come apart and all of these phrases really um, give a sense of the poetry of the chapter maybe I'll give one other example where it wants to talk about we'll talk about it in a minute the sense that high and low will become equal and even if you don't fully understand the hebrew that i just read i hope you're getting the the sort of the the lilt the the tempo the sense of the meter and the and the alliteration of the hebrew which is really quite stunning so let's read a little bit as we enter this uh parak god will split the earth and divide it and lay it waste and twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants layman and priest shall fare alike slave and master handmaid and mistress buyer and seller lender and borrower creditor and debtor the earth shall be bare bare it shall be plundered plundered for it is the lord who spoke this world the earth is withered the world languishes the most exalted people of the earth languish for the earth was defiled unto its inhabitants because they transgressed teaching violated laws broke the ancient covenant that is why a curse consumes the earth and its inhabitants pay the penalty that is why the earth's dwellers have dwindled and none but a few men are left. There is this image here with these psukim I just read, verse 1 to 6 in the English, of absolute devastation. And I have to say that Yeshayahu certainly knew about earthquakes. Uh, I say earthquakes again because I read to you before, Pasuk Yudtet, the earth is breaking, breaking, the earth is crumbling, crumbling, the earth is tottering, tottering, the earth is swaying like a drunkard, it's rocking to and fro like a hut. Its iniquity shall weigh it down, and it shall fall to rise no more. And in the next chapter, chapter 25, verse 2, you've turned a city into a heap of rubble, a walled town into a ruin, the citadel into a heap of stones never to be rebuilt so we do definitely get the sense of a earthquake now there was a, an earthquake in the time of king uziah just when ishayahu started um prophesying we know that from the book of amos where amos we're told that he prophesizes shnataim lifnei haraash two years before the the great earthquake and archaeology has shown this earthquake we even know about it from the book of 
Zechariah, which is written several hundred years later, and he tells the people, you will, you will run away, you'll be so scared, you'll run away like you did before the earthquake in the time of King Uzziah. Archaeologists say that this was a devastating earthquake, and therefore it might well be that it's not like Ishayahu is predicting another one. Uh, of course, you probably all know that Israel, the land of Israel, sits on the Afro- Afro-Syrian fault line. So we actually are prone to earthquakes here. I think the last one was in 1927. And it, actually, modern Israel today is, is, is trying to ensure that buildings are, in, in fact, earthquake-proof, because uh, every hundred years or so we get an earthquake. But this archaeology shows was particularly devastating. And it might well be that, therefore, um, when Yeshayahu wants to describe destruction, he's sort of using this imagery. So let's just go into one one further thing, which is that uh, there's frequently a sense that the the land itself can be weighed down by sin. The land can be affected by the sins upon it. There's a sort of the land isn't just static and, and natural and sin happens upon it, but there's an interaction. I begin with this even from the story of Cain and Hevel. The voice of your brother's blood is screaming from the earth. And of course, blood doesn't scream. It just gets soaked into the earth. But we imagine it as screaming. And in fact, when Cain gets his uh, punishment that he will be nada nad, he will wander around the world. Um, the, the Midrash imagines that every place he went, the land shook under him. There's that nice earthquake imagery where we have the sense of the earth being reactive, reactive to the sins of human beings. Likewise, like you can imagine the Mahapechat Sodom the Amorah, the way that Sodom and Amorah sort of turn itself over rather than tolerate the sin of the people of Sodom. And of course, we have the imagery in Vayikra Perak Yudchet and, and Perak Chaf of when if Israel will sin on the land, then the land will spew the people out. It will vomit them out, almost as if the land has a sensitive stomach. And if it eats food which is too coarse, it will it will simply vomit the vomit the food out because it won't be able to just digest it or swallow it. Likewise, the lands, the land here, will not tolerate sin. And and this is indeed what we, if we come back to our chapter, this is what we see in pasuk um, in pasuk hey, where it says, the land became defiled because of its inhabitants, Torot, because they transgressed Torot, right? The laws. They abandoned the law. And by the way, this is put in universal terms. I don't even know if this is talking about the Jewish people. Uh, they have abandoned the covenant of the universal covenant, the covenant of the world, maybe even B'nai Noach. Al Cain. Allah therefore the land has consumed them um, and we have this amazing parallel between the destruction of the land and the destruction of the people upon it and we have that later on as well when we read uh, um, the land you know moves around it, it sort of wavers like a drunkard not a darkum luna or chabad aleha pish'ah because its sins 
are heavy upon it. It will fall like a drunkard and will not be able to get up again. And by the way, the, 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 well, maybe we'll finish off just with the lines, the last lines of the, of the Perak. And it will be on that day. God will punish the host of heaven in heaven. And the kings of earth on the earth. So we have a sense of the heavens being destroyed and the kings of the earth on the earth. We're talking about some sort of uh, captivity. They'll, they'll be locked in the prison. Is this talking about people caught underground? Um, and the moon will be ashamed and the sun will be abashed. Does this mean some sort of like, I don't know, the atmosphere will be polluted? Maybe we're talking about volcanoes where the sun and the moon won't, their, 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 their lights won't be able to extend to earth. Why? Very interesting ending. Because God will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And here, and the presence of God will be revealed to his elders. What exactly are we talking about there? That we'll deal with in some of our future classes. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.